This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 10, Project Atlas. The only announcement we have for you guys this week is that starting next week, we will be resuming our normal release schedule on Tuesdays. We want to thank you all for your patience and understanding during the holiday season. With us releasing these past two episodes on Wednesday, real life got in the way for a little bit. But now that the holidays are over, we can return back to our normal Tuesday releases. So happy new year, everyone. And let's move on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM is about Series 9, Episode 9, Through Salt and Fire. We got to see a part of Manifest that we haven't really seen too much of before, which is the tech and sci-fi element to the setting. So we thought we would talk a little bit about what kind of genre Manifest is, sci-fi western, and how you could tilt one way or the other uh, when you play the game. Yeah, the first few episodes of this series really helped showcase how the system and setting work together to let you tell stories with a very Western aesthetic. There was a train robbery that led to the rescue of a judge's daughter and ended in a quick draw showdown with the leader of a gang. But Manifest is altogether a sci-fi Western setting, and these past couple episodes with Giles have really started to give us a sense of the sci-fi elements of the system and the lore. The most prominent element of which is probably the introduction of the proto-martyr remnants and the concept of librarian enclaves. There's a certain freedom that comes with storytelling in a sci-fi setting, and I, I wanted to make sure there was enough built into the gear, the talents, and the lore of Manifest to give game masters a lot to work with. You want to have players roam the Badlands, getting into saloon brawls and hunting bounties? This setting is absolutely built for that. But in that same campaign, you could have those players come across a mad scientist whose experiments with old world tech are endangering a nearby settlement. That's part of the fun of the sci-fi western setting. And there's plenty of lore to seek your teeth into when it comes to the proto-martyr cult and the librarians. Manifest intends to ride the line between a crunchy system and a narrative system. And the sci-fi elements of the game definitely lead towards the narrative side. Because the librarians hid away so much of the advanced technology and knowledge of the world, there's no canonical limit to what kind of sci-fi secrets a party of drifters could encounter. The gadgets that we find within the rulebook, some of which we've been able to see in action during this campaign, only scratch the surface of what kind of tech used to be at humanity's disposal. It's this kind of mysterious secret knowledge that makes the proto-martyr such a great tool for a GM. You can put any kind of sci-fi tools at their disposal and use them to create unique challenges for your drifters. They're librarians that have gone totally off the rails bad, and because of the whole martyr part of their movement, a GM never really has to worry about their players acquiring super-powered, technologically advanced gear from proto-martyrs, because it all just blows up at the end. 
And apart from librarians and proto-martyrs, the Tekon Manifest is so inconsistently distributed around the planet. So much so, a GM can absolutely tailor the amount of sci-fi in their game to their own tastes. While most settlements tend to have an LRC tower, that doesn't mean they're very well off in other areas of advancement. Some Badlands settlements don't even have electric lights throughout the entire town. Every settlement can be built to have its own feel and tech level, and by no means do you have to lean heavily into the sci-fi if you'd rather just have a more pure Western aesthetic. GMs can balance the sci-fi and Western themes in their game however they see fit, and the system will work either way. The gear and talents readily available to the players are designed to have just the right amount of both sci-fi and Western elements. And in all my time running and playtesting and developing the game, it's that narrative flexibility that really, really makes me want to keep sitting down and keep playing it. And I have to agree, as a player, it's been really fun to play in this sort of like 60-40 setting where we've predominantly hung out in the Badlands, but occasionally we venture into more sci-fi areas and uh, to have our characters either really relish that time or be put off kilter by like, I don't know what this switch on the wall does, uh, has been super fun and, and really given us a lot of robust role-playing opportunities. Uh, but I think that's uh, enough about the setting for now. Um, I'm sure we'll have more for you in the future. I want to know what your favorite part is. My favorite part is in the middle of the first engagement with the proto-martyrs as you enter the facility. Uh, there's a part where Giles gets knocked down to the ground and I'm like, okay, Giles, it's your turn. What are you going to do? And uh, he has the, the really clever idea of using uh, his grappling hook hand to plant a breaching charge to blow up the enemy's cover. It was brilliant because... The breaching charges specifically have to be planted manually. They can't be thrown and attached to something and simultaneously armed. But using a grappling hand is kind of a workaround for that because it can still articulate because it's also a hand drone. <laughs> and then on top of that, um, Giles isn't very good at ranged combat of any sort. And that would have been a ranged combat test for him to plant it on an enemy or do anything like that. But because he was shooting at an inanimate object, which happened to be the enemy's cover, uh, he simultaneously worked around all of his weakness, played to his strengths, utilized his gear in a really interesting way, and really helped out the fight by eliminating some very good cover that the enemies had. It was a brilliant move by Nick and also have happened to lean into his, uh, into his advancement trigger that he has from his dip into the scavenger path, which is an item is used in an unorthodox way. All of those things together made it like a multi-step genius plan on Nick's part to really shine in that combat in a way that I think only Giles could. What about you? What was your favorite part? I really loved the idea of this little like library annex drop off book depository thing being hidden in basically plain sight in the salt flats where you can see things for miles. Um, if you were crossing the salt flats, the last thing you're going to do is take a detour to look at a rock. And, and uh, just the idea of how that could narratively play into like how other libraries or proto-martyr enclaves or anything like that uh, might be hidden uh, is really interesting to me. I, I love the idea of like that mythos of pockets of secrecy hidden all over the planet of Manifest and you might walk past it every day and just don't know. 
And you guys haven't even fully uncovered all of the secrets that this hidden facility has to offer. As we left the last episode with you confronted with one final door to get through and a very angry proto-martyr in in your way. (laughs) So... I think uh, since we left on a bit of a cliffhanger and the listeners had to wait an extra day this week to get the episode, we should waste no more time and move on in to Series 9, Episode 10, Project Atlas. Enjoy! Greetings, I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is sugar. Maache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities grant me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bounty can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle in most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead where we can be ourselves and ain't nobody going to try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. Howdy, folks. Name's Roy Hampton. Now I know what you're thinking. How did such a dashing young man come to be robbing you today? Well, you get to handing over your spurs, and I'll tell you what's what. I grew up in a factory town with my mamas Helen and Kate. Helen was a kind, quiet lady, kept her head down to raise me best as she could. But Mama Kate, she was the kind of woman who couldn't help but stand up for us, even when we weren't asking. In the city, there's two kinds of folks. The family, and people paying the family. And Mama Kate wasn't about to be either. Problem is, when you're standing up to a planetary crime syndicate, you and yours are liable to end up in the dirt. So when the Jimmies came to our home, My mama's held him off long enough for me to escape. After that, thieving wasn't a choice. It was survival. Now, miss, you ain't gonna get to that holdout before I lose this arrow. Just sit tight. We're almost through. See, turns out I got a knack for this life. Key is to always have the advantage. Never pick a fair fight. Second trick is to rob folks that can afford to lose it. And there ain't nobody richer than the family. There was a time I was hitting the family so hard I was taking enough spurs to live like a king. Trouble is, family ain't inclined to let robbery of that magnitude slide, hence the 800 spur bounty on my head. Now I know y'all are feeling a few spurs short, but look on the bright side. Next time you throw a fancy shindig, you can tell the story of the time you were robbed by Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Y'all have a nice day now. Charles Farthing, the pleasure's all mine, like. As you might have guessed, I come from money, but I'm not above slumlet with the upper middle class. I work a trade. I'm a barber. Clean cut, close shave, replace a limb or two. That last one's my speciality. Prosthetics. Best side of Iron Harbour. And the other side of Iron Harbour. Also within the city limits of Iron Harbour. <laughs> well, have a look. My handwork's my pride and joy. My left side, the foreleg, arm, my left eye. No accident. Improvements. 
The human body is wonderful, but imperfect like. We're at a point in history where it's our own flesh and blood holding us back. That's why I've made it my life's work to develop the finest in form, function, and fashion. That's all on hold for the moment, though. First, I need to find and recover an item stolen from my own home at a recent exhibition. To steal from a man of my genius. The audacity. It's unforgivable. Ugh, blather, what'll it be? I'll have you looking your best in no time, or my name isn't Giles Farthen. Which it is. Giles Far. I just told you, like. My name is Juliet Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. But I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right. And Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. The last time we left our team of drifters, they had entered a technologically advanced facility known as a librarian depot that is being used by remnant proto-martyrs. The proto-martyr movement is a fanatic, violent movement hell-bent on destroying civilization on Manifest as it exists so that they can rebuild a better world. The team entered and fought their way through several segments of this facility, moving their way towards the final chamber, which, is, which according to the blueprints, is labeled as the engineering bay. And standing between them and the final door of this facility is a proto-martyr with two laser pistols slung low on his hips. They previously learned his name to be AJ. He takes a step forward, staring the four of you down, hands hovering above his pistols, and begins to speak to you. Project Atlas cannot be stopped by the likes of you. And he reaches up and presses a button on his helmet and his visor slides up. To reveal a young face, at a guess you'd put him about at the same age as Roy. Far, far too young to be an original proto-martyr by any stretch. He stares you down with fire in his eyes and continues speaking. My brothers and sisters and I will die so our mission can succeed. And we are not alone. Others will rise. And your world will be put out of its misery. Starting with you. His eyes lock in on uh, Juliet, and he is going to challenge you to quick draw. All right. 
His highest is an eight, Juliet. My highest is a 13, and I have three net hits. Okay. Uh, that will give you a plus two to uh, your subsequent test. What do you say back to him? I sort of can't help but roll my eyes a little, and I say, AJ, was it? See, what you fail to comprehend, son, is that uh, I'm a gunslinger who's made it past 40, which should indicate to you that I've fought many a quick draw. So while you might be the fastest gun down here, there ain't no way you're beating the fastest gun in the Badlands. I put a number of your brothers and sisters in the original crisis when your movement mattered into the ground. And I'm happy to put another proto-martyr right alongside with him. So I got to ask you, AJ, are you a proto-martyr? As you won the challenge, he has a chance to concede. He will not. Okay. <laughs> and uh, staring you down, a small bead of sweat will roll down his forehead. And then he will reach for his guns. And uh, you can go ahead and roll quick draw. And what is your highest? My highest is a 16. Ah, his is a 12. All right. That's four net hits. Uh, for how much damage? That's 36 damage. You two stare at each other for a moment. He reaches for his guns. Again, those of you who have seen it before, with lightning speed that you can barely clock, Juliet's gun is in her hand with the other hand fanning the hammer, and a shot rings out, and AJ, having pulled one of his laser pistols out of his holster, uh, has it half extended to, to pull the trigger uh, as his head cocks back. And he falls to the ground dead. And then one second later, his body turns to ash as he explodes. And the four of you are far, far back enough that uh, uh, you're not in any danger from that explosion. Taking a few steps into the final segment of this hallway, um, you can look to the left and right and see that the two rooms that were designated for inventory storage are picked clean and empty. And getting about halfway into that final segment of the hallway, your your detect life power extends far enough into the next room that you can, in fact, detect another human life form. Uh, it is high up above you, moving uh, moving laterally to to your position. Well, if there's only one, I reckon we just sort of press on because, like, either they they've seen that and now they's running, or they haven't and they're dumb. Because they ain't running. Have we run into the woman in charge yet? The one with my spares? Hard to say for sure. There were a couple women in power armor that you guys laid out. Um, and given the fact that they don't leave much to identify a body, you can't say for certain one way or the other. But we didn't recognize armor or anything. No, no. Uh, a lot of their armor looks really similar. Um, I guess throwing your, your memory back, you would probably err on the side of saying she's probably still alive. Well, shall we go get her? Yeah, that's sort of what I was pushing for. I say, heading towards the last door. <laughs> I follow Roy. I'll open the door. Giles enters in the code, and that final large uh, blast door slides open, revealing the massive engineering bay of this facility. The walls are lined with cutting-edge engineering technology, 
much of which is beyond anything you've seen, Giles, continuing with the theme of the, of the level of tech down here. There are screens and data terminals that, that lined the walls uh, on the ground level. Uh, however, nearly the whole of the room is taken up by one gargantuan figure. A bipedal monstrosity of technology Juliet knows as a protomartyr colossus. It's a giant mech with two massive guns for arms and a siege laser built into its hunched over back that's capable of leveling an LRC tower from nearly 10 miles away. Only a couple were seen during the proto-martyr crisis, and they proved to have the capability to single-handedly decimate entire settlements. This colossus seems to be nearly completely built. There are large cranes and catwalks that surround it, and a closer look shows that there are areas of the body and the armor uh, where the inner workings and wirings are in fact exposed. Additionally, its left gun arm is currently separated from the rest of the Colossus, suspended in the back of the chamber, presumably still under construction. And judging by your detect life, Clayton, the final proto-martyr in this facility is currently in the cockpit in the head of this Colossus. And before you guys have a chance to, to react, there's a whirring sound as the engine warms up and the floodlight-like eyes on the front of this Colossus turn on. And the screens that line the walls to your left and right all flicker on, showing the face of the woman who seemed to be in charge of the exchange earlier. She looks at you with fury in her face and says... You dare try to stop our movement. We will not be put down. Elias Duce Vincamus! Shouting out the proto-martyr battle cry, the Colossus breaks away from the catwalk surrounding it and levels its one arm at you guys. And I need everyone to roll initiative. Did anyone get better than an eight? I will spend grit to have better than an eight. Uh, I will twist the knife twice, and I got a nine. I, too, will spend grit, and now I have a nine as well. Clayton, what did you get? Six. And Giles? I spent grit to land at five. Roy, you are up first. All right. What's the best way to get on top of this sucker? (laughs) Well, uh, this... Colossus is roughly 400 to 500 feet tall, uh, and its silhouette is almost equivalently wide, uh, as its top torso is is kind of squat and and wide set. Um, it has two legs that are massive that you could try climbing up. Uh, there's also the catwalks um, uh, that are intact around it still that you could additionally try climbing up. Behind it, there are some chains hanging down uh, from the construction site that is its left arm. Uh, and that's about it, with the exception of any kind of tech to assist your ascent. All right. Now, which of the manners in which you just listed would use my incredible skill in gymnastics and not my meager skill in athletics. Probably the catwalks. I will head there because I got a bow and arrow, 
So uh, <laughs> I think my best bet is to maybe try and pop the hatch on this sucker and just shoot the lady inside. <laughs> okay. Let's see how high you can get. It's going to obviously take multiple rounds of combat to fully ascend to the top of this thing. But um, go ahead and roll gymnastics. Uh, we'll call it at a minus two, just given the fact that her kind of busting out of the catwalks that attached to the cockpit of this thing have slightly destabilized the, the structure around it. Um, but not so much that it's incredibly dangerous, just a little rickety. Uh, I will spend grit to play to the gallery to count this 11. Uh, I got four hits. Okay, yeah. Springing to action, Roy darts to the left, slinging his bow over his back to free both of his hands. He jumps up and uh, grabs onto a bar extending from the catwalk. Uh, swinging his feet up and launching up uh, to the second level, running along a little ways before grabbing onto another bar and using his momentum to swoop up again. And he continues in this fashion, kind of gaining the momentum he needs to leap up off of a part of the catwalk to get onto another. And you're making pretty good progress. By the end of this initiative, initiative pass, you are a third of the way to the top. Juliet, you are up next. I'll turn to... Uh... Giles, and, uh, and I'll say, uh, give me a charge. Give me a charge. All right, here. And you grab a breaching charge from Giles. I'm going to run at its closest foot. Sure. Stick it on, uh, like on the like ankle part. Given the sheer size of this thing, it doesn't really feel right to call this a melee or an unarmed attack. So I think it's going to be an athletics test to try and get your way up onto this thing's ankle as its, as its foot shifts and steps up and slams down, trying to allow it to bend down and take the shot that it's attempting to line up on you guys. So yeah, you can go ahead and roll that. All right, I'm going to spend uh, two grit to make my own luck ahead of time. Okay, that adds more dice to your test. Uh, her highest is a nine. I have a 10, so that means I have one net hit. Okay, uh, so you managed to climb up, uh, step up onto one of the articulating uh, toe-like stabilizers on the foot of this Colossus before the foot raises up, at which point you have to stumble forward and hold on as it slams down, stepping back, and um, you almost fly off, but uh, kind of stumble in the right direction, and you have a choice. Uh, you can either plant it not in the ideal location that you were aiming for, or you can wait and uh, try to plant it on your next turn. All right. Well, I'm obviously lucky to even be up here. I place it where I can place it. All right. So you stumble forward. Instead of being able to like stick it right on the gears around the ankle, you kind of slap it above you on the shin, uh, and, it mag- and it kind of attaches to the, to the leg of the thing, and then you stumble back and it took a quick action to attach it, and you can use your other quick action to detonate it if you like. I do so. Slapping it on, you detach the remote from the charge, uh, which arms it, and you stumble back on the foot and press the button on the remote, and it blows a hole in the armor on this shin, shooting shooting fire and smoke uh, and shrapnel around you and dealing its damage uh, uh, directly to the Colossus. Uh, with no chance for it to try to, you know, dodge out of the way. Uh, And now it is her turn. Having stepped back, the Colossus lines up a shot with its gigantic 
gun arm on its right side, and it unloads a massive payload down on uh, Clayton and Giles. I need both of you to roll a dodge test. Do I have any cover from being back by the door controls rather than in the doorway? Uh, yeah, you could. You can have uh, a, a light cover there. That can give you a plus one to this and give her a minus one. Hi, 13. Uh, her highest is an 11. I got 16. Ducking into cover, Giles manages to avoid as massive holes are ripped into the floor of this station. And that, and the ground continues to be shredded up as it, as the firing or as her fire arc spreads over towards where Clayton is. And Clayton, still powered by his luminescence, uh, dashes uh, forward and then and they kind of zigzags to the uh, uh, to the left and the right to uh, avoid the shots. Uh, and then the head of this uh, of the Colossus will turn towards where Roy is climbing up the catwalk. And little gun ports open up uh, on either side of where the uh, uh, where the illuminated uh, where the headlights are, and it begins shooting in your direction as well, Roy. Uh, so go ahead and roll a dodge test. Her highest is a ten. Hey, that don't beat my thirteen. These these bullets seem to be smaller and less explosive in nature, as they begin shredding up uh, the the floorboards of the catwalk around you, but failing to hit you as you climb up to another level and begin running. Uh, to uh, running straight forward to avoid the uh, uh, avoid any damage. Then all of you can have a grit as she doubles down to take another turn. She will continue her barrage with uh, with the gun arm on Giles and Clayton. So I'm going to need another dodge test from you guys. Fifteen. Eight. But I'm going to use a grit to make my own luck for one more die. Nah, still an eight. Okay, her high is an 11. So Clayton continues to avoid uh, being hit, dashing along the uh, what open space there is on the ground level here to avoid being hit. However, uh, Giles, you will be taking uh, nine damage with five piercing. All right, we'll take another class one injury, uh, which is a setback. Reduced initiative by two. So Giles, after the initial uh, peppering of your cover, you think, okay, I'm gonna dart forward and find some better cover. And as soon as you do, you're not expecting her to continue firing exactly like in your position uh, as the gun sweeps up and uh, cuts you off and pushes you back. And uh, and you uh, kind of lose that bolstered um, uh, bravery you had for a second rushing in and, you ha- and like pretty shaken. And Roy, uh, sh- the smaller firearms on the head or on the cockpit will continue to fire on you. I'm guessing a six gets me shot. Yeah. Uh, yes. Her highest is a twelve. Yeah, I'm gonna spend a grit to make my own luck. Well, okay. Now I got two fours. <laughs> so okay. a six is still my high. Okay. So she's going to spend some grit. So take a grit, Roy. Uh, and she is going to punch it, so she has an additional accuracy on her uh, on her weapon, and you will be taking 18 damage with one armor piercing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a class 3 injury instead of falling significantly into my overflow and bleeding out on this catwalk where no one can get to me. <laughs> okay, go ahead and roll a d20. Uh, that is a 2, which is a head wound which is a minus one to reasoning and awareness attributes. 
my reasoning has been reduced to one. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens is uh, you jump up onto another set of catwalks, pulling yourself up, and uh, her fire cuts the board you're holding onto in half, and you fall down a level on on the catwalk and smash your head against the metal pole Uh, Some blood starts seeping down the back of your neck, uh, and you are a little dazed and disoriented as you kind of stand up, kind of blinking away the spots, your thoughts kind of muddled by the injury, but you keep moving to avoid the rest of the fire. And uh, Juliet, the leg you're standing on is going to kind of raise up and take another step. Uh, So I'm going to need another athletics test uh, if you want to stay on top of it or a gymnastics test if you want to uh, jump off of it. I don't think there's any reason for me to stay on here. Uh, So I will, in fact, uh, jump off to avoid getting crushed when I inevitably fail my athletics test. Okay, go ahead and roll gymnastics. Uh, We'll put it at a minus two. Uh, That's four hits. Uh, yeah, you manage to drop down uh, the 15-foot drop as the foot raises up. You leap down and kind of roll with it, and you don't take any falling damage uh, as you clear away from the foot, and it slams down, trying to get a better bead on Clayton as he is continuing to dive and zip around with superhuman speed. And Clayton, it is your turn. So as I'm dipping, ducking around, I'm going to grab a couple of those breaching charges from Giles and... Uh try to get some of those charges on the other leg. How do I feel about my chances of chucking them? Uh, you won't be able to plant them and arm them, but um, this leg does have some areas that aren't fully intact, so you might be able to land them in a spot where you could shoot them, perhaps. Uh, but to get it uh, to land in a way where the charge is pointing in the in the right direction to actually... Uh, damage the leg it lands in uh, would be pretty hard to do. I'm going to throw both. Spin grit to shoot the moon. Okay. Uh, So instead of rolling a test, you are going to roll a single d20 with a 50-50 chance of either miraculous success or catastrophic failure. If you roll a 10 or lower, you succeed. Ten. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, So you rush forward, unable to reach. You kind of hail Mary, uh, grab both charges in uh, one hand and just huck them hard as you can. And they go flying through the air. They separate slightly and land perfectly separated on the left and right side of this open-faced kind of shin plate on this leg. And uh, judging by where they are, it looks like if they were to detonate, they would shoot directly into the meat of the uh, of the gears that control this leg's ankle. Uh, unfortunately, that takes up, uh, throwing them does take up both of your quick actions, so you'll have to wait until uh, your next turn to try and shoot them. Giles, it is your turn. I'm going to uh, deploy the internal skates in my foreleg and move as quickly as possible to the left arm, hanging by the crane pieces, uh, using the hydraulics in my leg to jump towards whatever controls are nearby. It is a pretty long way to leg it. It's about 500 feet away, uh, but with the added speed of the in, uh, of the skate that kind of pops out on your left foreleg to give you that like extra bit of speed, almost almost kind of like you're skateboarding. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, and uh, and the fact that your hydro the hydraulics in that leg allow you to jump a significant distance. Um, you can c- close most of the distance. You definitely won't be able to get there in one, uh, but you uh, you can go ahead and roll an athletics test to try and uh, and see just how far across you can make it. Two successes. The uh, attention of the Coloss- uh, of the Colossus seems slightly pulled away from you, and you use that to your advantage. You go running right through the middle between the two legs. Uh, you guys see as a as like kind of a, a skate pops out on the bottom of uh, of his left leg, and uh, Giles goes zipping through uh, uh, as fast as he can between the two legs, and then right as the uh, inertia starts to slow down his momentum just a little bit. He bends down and kicks off, and you see his ankle and his foot separate from uh, from his foreleg just slightly, giving him a bigger boost um, uh, as these hydraulics kick off, and he goes flying a little bit further, and uh, you'd say you were about a third of the way to the crane system that is being used to construct the left gun arm of this Colossus. And Roy, it's back to you. Uh, uh, keep keep climbing. This this ain't the first time I've done vertical parkour while concussed, so I'm uh, gonna get get on up there, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead and roll another gymnastics. That's four hits. Concussion or not, you continue uh, you continue moving quickly, uh, ascending up these catwalks as fast as you can. Um, uh, as the, uh, as the targeting system of this Colossus, or as, of this Colossus tries to keep up with you, uh, it's, it's barrage of bullets slowing down for a moment. You zigzag and jump up and swing. It's like a, it's like watching a monkey, like jumping from tree to tree, uh, ascending at miraculous speeds. Um, and you are two thirds of the way to this cockpit. Uh, Juliet, it is your turn. Is there a way that uh, I could shoot something on the head, whether it's the gun ports or like a sensor or something, how how she's seeing out so that she can stop targeting Roy for half a minute and he can get on top of that thing and shoot her dead? Yeah, I mean, you don't have like the technological mind necessarily to be able to identify the sensor, especially from this distance with so much going on. Uh, But what you do understand is there's two guns pointing out from the head of this Colossus just uh, above the headlights that look kind of look like eyes. And uh, you could take a shot at them and uh, potentially damage them to either make it so they are less effective or damage them so badly that they are disabled. Uh, kind of similar to what you did to Henry Walden's minigun on the trained away point. Okay, cool. Uh, so I'm going to forego shooting at the charges because I think that Clayton has a better chance of setting them off. And uh, instead, I'm going to choose to try and protect Roy by shooting those guns, uh, disabling him if I can. Okay. Um, So that is a called shot, which is a minus two. And then um, the sheer distance at which you are shooting uh, with small firearms, though your firearms are augmented to have some extra range, uh, will put you at an additional minus two. Well, uh, she didn't roll so great. Um, she got a high of a seven. All right. Uh, well, I have zero hits initially, but I'm going to choose to go it strong. All right. You spend some grit. And uh, my high is 13. So that's three net hits. Okay. You uh, kind of step back, soaking in the scene. And you look up, you see Roy uh, bleeding heavily out the back of his head. 
uh, stumbling and dashing forward, uh, managing to continue to ascend, but uh, he is under heavy fire, and you level one gun and uh, take a shot, and almost 500 feet above you, uh, at a ridiculous angle, uh, you shoot one of those gun uh, guns uh, so well that the barrel shatters, and uh, just as a bullet is leaving, and there's like kind of a small explosion that pushes the head down a little ways. Uh, and then I will shoot the other gun as well with my other hand. Okay, uh, same thing, uh, minus four. Uh, she rolled even worse this time. Her high is a six. All right. Um, so that's my high is a nine, and I have three net hits. Okay. Like, like it was easy for you. You level the second gun, take another shot, and completely, utterly disable the other firearm on the head of this Colossus uh, so that Roy is no longer in the line of fire unless the, uh, unless the gigantic gun arm stop shooting at Giles and Clayton and focuses on Roy instead. And then I'm going to do a real dumb thing and I'm going to run out in the open. Okay. Well, running out directly in the open, uh, firing two miraculously aimed shots uh, to disable uh, two of this thing's guns uh, does draw the attention of this proto-martyr. And the, and the gun arm that was firing on Clayton's and Clayton and Giles uh, will kind of uh, change its arc, giving up on Giles as it runs behind the as he runs behind the Colossus and instead choosing to shoot at both you, Juliet and Clayton. Okay. Uh, her highest is a 12. Uh, 13. All right, Clayton is okay and Juliet. Uh, 14. All right, yeah. Uh, the ground around you, Juliet, begins to explode as massive, uh, massively large explosive rounds begin flying around you. But you manage to pull back and uh, dive and roll uh, as uh, to avoid to avoid it. And Clayton, you continue your serpentine maneuvers to keep your, uh, to keep yourself difficult to target. And everyone can take a grit as she doubles down, and she will continue to pepper both. Clayton and Juliet with gunfire attempting to hit you once more. So go ahead and roll. My high is a 13. High is 11. Each of you can take a grit as she plays to the gallery. And each of you can take a grit as she punches it to raise the accuracy of her of her firearm. So what's her number then? Her highest is a 13. I will spend grit to play to the gallery and now I have a 14. Uh, Clayton, you get hit, and that is 18 damage with five armor piercing. I'll take a injury. Okay, so instead of taking that damage, you will go ahead and roll a d20 on the injury table. I got a 16 on the injury table. Okay, uh, so since it is a class three injury, that is a fractured bone, which will give you a minus one to your finesse and muscle attributes. As a shot lands just barely missing your leg, blowing up the ground below you, and you fly and rubble falls on your leg, twisting twisting your knee and fracturing your hip as you kind of slide down, covering your head as metal and shrapnel like lands down, crushing you to the ground, uh, knocking the wind out of you. Uh, but you're able to kind of push your way up uh, and like you have uh, a pretty noticeable limp, uh, but you are otherwise unharmed. And Clayton, it is your turn. I'm blowing that shit up. Targeting the breaching charges that you threw on your previous turn? 
Yes. Okay. Her highest is a 10. Uh, three net hits. Yeah. Uh, you push the rubble off, uh, uh, standing up, and step forward a little bit, uh, dust falling off of your coat uh, as you limp into a position where you can level your uh, level your, your rifle and let out a burst, and you nail those two breaching charges, which detonate almost simultaneously, shredding the gear that holds this, uh, holds this kind of uh, foot pedal together on this Colossus. And uh, it dips down, uh, kind of falling to the side, uh, almost on uh, what you would call its knee, um, uh, as it loses some of its mobility and its head is lowered, actually below Roy's position. As it kind of draw, as this giant mechanical colossus is dropped to its knees, and Giles, it is your turn. I'll continue skating to the uh, to the left arm. Okay, uh, go ahead and roll uh, an athletics check to see if you can close some more ground. There are three successes. I'll twist the knife for a fourth success. All right, yeah, with four successes, uh, you continue to gain momentum. As you kind of leapt forward with your hydraulic, you land down perfectly on your skate uh, and gain that extra momentum and, and push yourself forward, and then you leap again and you, uh, you land right on the side of one of these crane operating systems and you can c- kind of climb on into it. Uh, what were you trying to achieve? I'd like to aim the left arm's guns at the Colossus and fire. So uh, this is going to be a technology roll. Uh, as your assumption is correct, these cranes are uh, more than just mechanical structures that keep this, uh, keep this gun arm suspended. They are also similar to, uh, to like uh, an advanced medical station's um, uh, operating arm that can actually go in uh, and, and work on this arm. And it is currently plugged in and, and can uh, input commands to this arm. Uh, so it will be a technology test. It is still a bit beyond anything you've ever seen before, um, but you're starting to get a, a pretty good read on Proto-Martyr tech, so this will just be at a minus two. Two successes. Okay, so uh, you uh, you kind of boot up this, this uh, part crane, part operating system for this uh, semi-constructed gun arm and uh, you really quickly get a readout on the commands and the controls are actually in front of you kind of in like holographic form and when you kind of reach out they respond to your to your the motions of your hands and you're able to kind of swing your arm around and that uh, that makes the cranes uh, the crane arms begin to reorient and turn this gun uh uh, to aim at the Colossus, but it does take you a little bit too long for you to get a clean shot on it. Uh, basically, you spend your whole turn lining up the shot. And Giles, this is a pretty interesting and clever plan of action that you're utilizing, uh, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you a grit for it. All right, then I'll double down, try to shoot again. Well, you, well all right, well, you have, it, you have it lined up, so go ahead and roll technology again. It's kind of a blend of, like, technology and range, though, which is definitely not your forte, so this one's a minus four. One success with a four. Wow. Uh, well, I rolled three threes, and unfortunately, you guys have drained me of enough grit that I can't do anything to augment that. Uh, so how many net hits is that? That's my only hit. Okay. So uh, 
The Colossus is uh, kind of like trying to stabilize after falling to its knees. And then gunfire rains out from the other end of the engineering bay. And the Colossus is kind of lurched forward uh, as it is hit by its own weaponry. Um, as Giles uh, remotely operates this gun arm via this crane. And he just peppers the back of the Colossus with giant explosive rounds, uh, which seem to do a significant amount of damage to it. And Roy, it is your turn. Uh, you've made it up uh, partway and you watch as the Colossus drops down a couple levels below you and then gets peppered in the back and kind of cripples over a little bit more. Yeah, that seems fine. And I will jump off this catwalk onto this <laughs> Colossus. <laughs> well, uh, uh, you're going to have to roll a gymnastics test to avoid some fall damage as you are dropping a significant distance right now. All right, with uh, my practice landing talent, which gives me one free additional hit, I have six hits. I'm also wearing an excellent quality grab stability harness, so I assume I am fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, with an excellent quality grab stability harness, that amount of hits lets you drop over 200 feet safely. Uh, so you guys watch as Roy kind of stops his his feverish ascent and kind of looks over the edge, watching as the Colossus is kind of crippled and lowered below him. And uh, uh, he takes one step back and then leaps forward. And like for a second, you you think he's uh, he's his concussion has led him to commit suicide. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But then he, he slams his, uh, his, one of his hands on his chest and the grav stability harness under his vest lights up a little circular, uh, a little circular light on his uh, chest, extending uh, in like kind of an X-like fashion across uh, uh, over his shoulders and around his waist. And the gravity around him is literally manipulated and he glides down elegantly uh, and lands perfectly on this, uh, on the head of this Colossus. You land there, Roy, and you look around uh, uh, for some kind of uh, entrance, and the entrance is actually on the side port of this thing. You can tell that easily because when you entered, there were catwalks that were on either side of this thing's uh, head, uh, which were busted when it removed itself from its uh, from its restraints. All right, well, I'll pop down there and see what we're working with vis-a-vis -vis doors. Okay, um, so you kind of get a handhold. There's plenty of them on top of this thing. Uh, and uh, you kind of lean over, and there's definitely a door. It is very technological in nature, and, and probably some kind of uh, and, and probably some kind of tech would make it much easier to open. But it is mechanical enough that you might be able to utilize your auto picker in a certain configuration to get it open. Listen, every door is just some sort of combination of a thing in your way and a thing that moves that thing in your way. And an auto picker can get through any of those. <laughs> Knocked stupid with confidence, Roy <laughs> leans over the head of this reeling Colossus uh, and begins trying to pick the lock on this door. Um, you're going to be rolling a, a Skullduggery at a minus eight. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, spend some of this here grit that I've slowly accumulated over my wondrous experiences in this bunker. <laughs> uh, and now I've gone it strong and have three hits. All right. Uh, so you kind of swing down in the, uh, and uh, pull out your auto picker and the head lurches up as, it, uh, as Giles shoots it in the back. 
uh, some more, and you kind of swing down, and uh, you get a look at this thing, and you kind of jam your auto picker in the side, and begin like it's almost like kind of like a sawing motion as you move your way from the bottom of this door to the top, as it begins detaching some of the mechanisms that keep it uh, shut. And then uh, the head lurches up again, and you rip the auto picker out and uh, uh, kind of flap your back against the side of the of the colossus or the side of the cockpit as the hatch uh, the hatch swings upwards, and you now have access to the cockpit. But that will be your whole turn, <laughs> Juliet. It is your turn. What's around? Like I know you said that there was like lots of tech and stuff. But is there like a back exit or something useful uh, for our escape? As a, it, it occurs to me that I've never met anything the Proto Martyrs made that didn't just blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead and roll an observe test for me. Okay. <laughs> okay, I got two hits. Looking around this station, uh, you kind of like set, step back. Uh, try to get the lay of the land, suddenly realizing that perhaps uh, even once this thing is destroyed, the danger may not be over. And uh, you look around a little bit, a little bit, and you do see one set of doors uh, on the left side of this uh, of this engineering bay. Uh, but uh, if you if you want to, you can spend your entire turn discerning its purpose. Um, but uh, if you don't if you don't want to if you don't want to like spend your actions or anything. Um, then that is all the information you get. This feels like an important thought that I'm about to start working on. So, uh, I mean, there ain't really nothing to shoot at. I'll try and figure out what this uh, door on the left is. Okay. Um, So, uh, possibly to the shock of your companions, you lower your pistols. Not holstering them. You're not crazy. Uh, (laughs) But you kind of rush over towards some of the screens, which have... Uh, which the face of this proto martyr has blipped away from, and uh, and one of them in particular seems to have like uh, a readout of this room uh, with a bunch of different warning signs saying like you know unauthorized access and crane integrity compromised and all that goodness. But one thing does uh, catch your eye as you properly investigate uh, this readout. It seems that they've installed a um, quick rise elevator of some kind. Uh, in the side of this room in case they ever needed to make a hasty escape. I'll share this uh, discovery over the telepathic link uh, real quick. Hey, there is an uh, elevator, I think, through this door that's going to help us get out of here because I ain't never experienced something that wasn't touched by proto-martyrs that didn't blow up when it died. Just food for thought, I I think that we should uh, retreat through here as soon as possible. Sounds like a great idea. Oh, shit, I'm inside this thing. (laughs) And Juliet, as you begin to make your way towards the the doors to that elevator, the Colossus kind of uh, damaged and crippled will lower its gun arm down to kind of stabilize it. And you, your heart sinks for a moment as the light in this room begins to become overcast with a red glow. And as you're making your way, you glance up uh, to your right Uh, and you see the Colossus is kind of trailing your movement with its torso as uh, the back of its uh, kind of hunch opens up and the Proto-Martyr Siege Laser rises out, fully charged, and aims directly at you. And I need you to roll a dodge test. I have a 14. 
So this laser, uh, massive in scale, almost alien in te- in, uh, in technological prowess uh, to most of you. Giles, you've never seen such a resplendent and terrifying use of tech as the light glowing from it overlays everything. It's like it's like everything in this room has a red fil- uh, a, a deep red filter on it. And the the light at the or the light on this massive laser cannon coalesces on the edge of it as it trails following Juliet's movement. And Juliet, you just start picking up momentum as fast as you can and you leap forward as as hard as you can just when you think that the shot is going to going to fire. And her highest is a 12. Oh, thank God. And the laser lets out a blaring, ear-shattering, earth-rumbling roar. Clayton, you uh, you with your telepathic link to Sugar uh, can tell that she feels it up uh, all the way on the surface as this laser makes a straight energy beam carving uh, into the walls and the floors behind Juliet and missing her by inches before it powers down. And that red filter and that sound, that oppressive sound, uh, all fade away. And the, and the battle resumes as normal as the laser begins lowering itself back into the, uh, into the Colossus to recharge. Fucking Pepe Dentoro. <laughs> and Clayton, it is your turn. What the hell? Right behind you, Juliet. <laughs> okay. Uh, it will be an athletics test uh, for you to try and make it to the elevator in one go, Clayton. I have three successes. Yeah, uh, you say right behind you, Juliet, and you mean it. You begin booking it. Juliet scrambles to her feet, and you can't manage to catch up with her, and the two of you are making your way towards that elevator in order to uh, pop it open and get it ready uh, to leave as soon as something looks like it's about to explode. <laughs> Roy, it is your turn. All right, so I, I can see into this cockpit, yeah? Yes, it is out of this world. Uh, You walk in and you are surrounded by immensely complex technology. There seem to be three chairs uh, in this cockpit, only one of which is occupied. And looking at it as you kind of like step in and gain your footing, you are marginally horrified by what you see. Um, It seems this woman has removed a significant amount of her standard proto-martyr power armor in order to allow the chair she is sitting in to integrate with her body directly. There are electronic cords jammed into the back of her head and her arms, and she is strapped in, and honestly, you're not sure what would happen if she was removed. You think that she is as much a part of this Colossus as any other component, and she doesn't seem aware that you are entering in the cockpit with her. All right, that's gross. I shoot her with a bow. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to roll for it. She is, um, her physical body is effectively helpless uh, to your attack as you kind of gain your footing, soak in the scene, knock an arrow, and let it loose. And uh, it goes straight into her temple. And it, and it goes through and her body goes limp. And with it, the motion of the Colossus begins to slow down. And then as it does, uh, Juliet and um, Clayton, you guys get to the elevator door. Uh, Giles, I assume you're uh, removing yourself from the crane system and and running to the door as well? Absolutely. Uh, you can go ahead and roll in athletics to see how quickly you can get there. 
what with your skates and your hydraulics. And uh, Roy, the cockpit kind of settles in motion and the Colossus seems to freeze in the position it's in. And then all of the lights in this cockpit that were a myriad of colors, uh, all systematically turn red. And you hear, All right, well, I don't know computers, but this don't seem great. Well, seeing as the way I came in is towards the elevator, I'm gonna, you know, get a get a good head of steam and jump out of this thing. And as I do, I scream, "Legendary Outlaw!" <laughs> <laughs> you do. Um, you're gonna have to roll a gymnastics test. As you're still about 150 feet up in the air. <laughs> and uh, Giles, what did you get on your athletics? Two successes, like, and I'm using my cane like a ski pole. and Roy what did you get on your gymnastics well including the one automatic hit from practice landing I got five hits (laughs) you you think you leap out super majestically but you are super disoriented from this concussion and so you kind of almost like trip fall spin your way out as you're like legendary outlaw and you tumble out And by the grace of your muscle memory and this grab stability harness, you glide down flawlessly and land next to Juliet and Clayton uh, as they are at the the door to this hatch. And um, that sound begins uh, building. And you see as like steam begins pouring out of different ports of this Colossus and the screens on this uh, engineering bay all go static and the lights to this facility begin to flicker and uh, Giles, you get to the elevator. You've familiarized yourself with uh, Proto-Martyr Tech enough that you know how to open it up and you get in and Giles, I'm going to need a technology roll as you uh, as you operate this thing. Far successes, highest is 12. All right. Uh, similar to the operating system of that crane you were on, uh, the panel uh, lights up when you interface with it and gives you kind of a, a three-dimensional holographic uh, control system. And you slam your hand into it and slide up, and the elevator begins moving as you guys uh, as you guys hear that humming uh, becoming less of a pulse and more of a constant. And um, as you're making your way up, Giles, you've moved the elevator up and there's a warning uh, in the holographic image and you you press it to open it up and you see that this thing isn't fully completely constructed. And there's a thin layer above it uh, where the uh, where the exit hatch needs to be built, where it is not built yet. And with your technology role, you're able to uh, clear that and then immediately reconfigure the speed of this thing to have enough ramming power to break the crust of the salt flats. As you hear a rumbling, shaking uh, explosion below you, your speeds reach the top speed of this uh, this rapid ascent uh, elevator. Uh, everyone's ears pop as you zoom up. Uh, and and for a moment, those of you, uh, the rest of you in the elevator who aren't Giles and don't quite realize this the scenario, uh, you think that you are you die in the explosion for a moment as this elevator crashes against the crust of the salt flat, shattering through it, flying up in the air and slamming down, followed by a gout of flame and uh, and death as the Colossus below you completely detonates, taking uh, taking the entire Proto-Martyr station with it. Uh, you guys slam down onto the ground, and 
each of you takes eight damage, uh, no piercing, as you suffer the the brunt of this crash, as this kind of scorched, slightly melted, very uh, uh, very heavily damaged uh, box of metal that you're in, uh, pl- uh, like slams into the ground, tumbles a little bit, and finally lands at a stop. The door's broken off, and you just see a solid four to six seconds of fire just shooting up into the air. Uh, followed by smoke, and then ash begins to follow around. And out of that ash, a little miscolored by it, you see the form of Sugar rushing to see if you guys are okay. Sugar. Hey, do anyone remember how to read? I think <laughs> I hit my head pretty hard. Hey, hey, Giles, I just want to let you know right now that uh, if your friend doesn't have information on where my husband is, I am going to kill him. <laughs> and that's where we'll end our session. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions, all rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton, all rights reserved. For more information, go to www dot manifest the RPG dot com.